The world of ministry to teenagers can offer a full range of emotion, interesting challenges, rewarding victories, and discouraging difficulty. It is important to remember that the work we do with students is vital. It is good to be reminded that what you do matters and is appreciated. We hope that the time you spend here will encourage you and equip you to hit the mark in life and ministry. Welcome to the Scopehost Podcast, impacting youth ministry in Oklahoma and beyond. Hey everybody, welcome to the Scopehost Podcast. Uh, this episode is audio from our first general session at Oklahoma Youth Ministry Forum 2018. This is Ed Newton talking about making disciples. Let's put our hands together for this band who's led us so well t- today. Incredible. Well, good afternoon to you. My name's Ed Newton. It's a privilege to be with you. I'm a pastor down in San Antonio, Texas, and it's a great honor to be here today, which I would consider one of the greatest privileges to be with youth pastors and volunteer teams and also the unsung heroes, that is the spouses that come alongside these men and women that lead out. Come on, incredible. Can we just, first of all, thank King Jesus for his faithfulness and his presence. Come on, can we just put our hands together and just say thank you, Jesus, that you would call us to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. I stand before you today with the daunting assignment to speak to the subject matter called discipleship. And for so long, I was a traveling evangelist, now as a pastor for almost three years. Today, I want to just speak to the subject matter with a lot of effort from a lot of different places of inspiration. Obviously, the key source of inspiration is God's Word. But I just want to begin with this thought. What are we reproducing in this effort of disciple-making? Because the goal is not just to make disciples. The goal is to make disciples that make disciples. So if that's the goal, then can we look at it from a very pragmatic perspective today? My wife and I have four kids. My wife and I have been married 20 years. We have a daughter named London, another daughter named Lola, Liv, and Lawson. 10th grade, 8th grade, 7th grade, 5th grade. If you were to walk into all of my kids' rooms, all four rooms, There is one particular common object that's in all of their rooms, and it's an old-school redneck box fan that you could get probably at a Dollar General, a Fred's, an HEB, a Walmart, a Target, and there have been moments where we've actually even come to this place during the summer months and bring our own box fan because there is a sound to a box fan that no app, some of you are shaking your hands, heads right now as if you're in agreement with what I'm saying. Like everything in you is about to have a kinetic outburst going, we're not the only ones, all right? And so if you got a box fan in your house right now, come on, just gotta thank you. Revival's breaking out here at Falls Creek, ladies and gentlemen. But there's something about that box fan, that sound, that rhythm, and when you don't have that box fan, you obviously go to the alternative, which would be the app, and there's a lot of different noises from the sound of a dryer to a hair blower to white noise, but nothing can simulate that sound. It's interesting that I did not specifically put that box fan in my kids' rooms. It was by spending time with, obviously, mom and I, that there was something that they began to notice, that they began to request, that they would see would be very much a part of the vitality of how they would live in a rhythm So today's object is to help us understand 
Why is it that it's important that everybody in your leadership form, not just here at the table, but in your scope and sequence of ministry, would understand the importance, if you will, of using the object of the box fan equated to discipleship, disciples making disciples, will be very much a part of their strategy, whether they're a small group leader, a Sunday school teacher, a volunteer, a door holder. Every conversation is a disciple-making conversation. Now, if you got something to write with, you, you got to get that down. That's not original. That came from somebody that discipled me. Every conversation is a disciple-making conversation, which means we have no idea the opportunity to inspire, to instill, and eventually equip unto great significance, to a destiny of purpose and a journey that we could leave a fat dent on the planet for the glory of God. So here's what I want to do real quickly, just with the time that I have remaining. I should have asked this question, Andy or Todd specifically. Can you tell me the time that I have in this session to be respectful of the breakout sessions that were to come? Thank you so much, Andy. I appreciate that. God bless you. Thank you for your ministry of sarcasm. Todd, thank you. I'm going to defer from you. Andy, I'm, thank you. I'm just going to the balcony. I'm looking for a voice from above. Todd, just want it so I could be respectful. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your sarcasm. Three minutes, but it's really what? 25 minutes. Great. So if you have a Bible, real quickly, let's just do this. Let's go to Luke chapter 5. I want to begin there, and then I want to use the whiteboard behind me in a very pragmatic, practical way. And then I want to say thank you to Todd for just the privilege today to be able to speak. When you addressed us today from Matthew 28, we, we know that that's the anchor of the Great Commission, that is the statements of discipleship. But I want to begin in Luke chapter 5. I want you to listen to these words. It was on one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, and he was standing by the lake or the Sea of Galilee. Now, before we move any further, you have to understand that people actually were intrigued by Jesus. There was something awe-inspiring of Jesus. There were, if we could use this analogy today, today, they were fans of Jesus. Like, when I read about what Jesus did to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if I was not a Christ follower, I would have found that in, in tremendously entertaining to watch him flip the tables and flip the script on the religious leaders that walked around as if they were the spiritual varsity team. And so they were fans of Jesus, but then we watched something begin to happen that has affected all of us today. We would not be here if Jesus did not do what he did, not only on the cross, but the authority that he instilled into the hearts of every person that would choose to follow him. But notice this in verse 2. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Now, just as I was preparing for this, there was a, just I believe there was a, a word that just pressed into my soul that I want to share with you today. There, there are moments to mend our nets. There are moments to cast the net. But there are moments like this where we have to wash the nets. And washing the nets for us is a statement of reprioritizing, giving re-emphasis because there is an assignment and a mission. And so we understand casting the net in regards to evangelism, but also in regards to mending nets and washing nets is very much a part of the process. And I want to use that statement as a, a springboard statement into the water that Jesus was speaking in. I want to say this to all of us. Evangelism and discipleship are not two separate entities. You cannot miss that. Oftentimes we put evangelism in a bucket all by itself, and then we put discipleship in another bucket all by itself. And if we're not careful, we can have a pendulum 
where, where the needle swings one direction and then the next direction, depending on the philosophical idea of the day. But evangelism and discipleship are, in essence, connected much like the two-sided coin. It's together. We cannot compartmentalize that. We cannot segregate that. We cannot segment that. Evangelism and discipleship are one together. It's casting nets and it's washing nets. It's casting nets. It's mending nets. And as we look at what Jesus does for us today to give us an understanding of the the practicality of this. You'll see this in verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little further from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, now watch this. He's gone from fan to maybe this moment of just, okay, now we're transitioning into a friendship here. He uses this word master in a statement of respectability. And so you're watching this fan zone transition into, all right, there's a friend zone here. I feel as if I could say something to you as if I'm disagreeing with you. Like, we've been here all night, Jesus. You only say that to people that you got friendship with. And so all of a sudden, Jesus tells him to do it, and then we watch Simon Peter do exactly what Jesus tells him to do. They let down the nets, and therefore there's a miraculous catch. But I want you to notice verse 8. It says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the feet of Jesus, fish flopping everywhere, the feet of Jesus, and here's what begins to unfold. Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, and then this is the promise For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And they also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon and Jesus. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. So I want us to see this progression. That there's a moment where we transition from fan to friend to family to follower and to a fanatic and back into a repurposing of a fisherman. And Jesus would say this, that this occupation that you have demonstrated the ability to catch actual fish will be translated into a catching of men and women and young people for the purpose of multiplication. So the goal of what we're talking about today is not addition. What we're talking about today is multiplication. And as we talk about multiplication, we're talking about something that's miraculous that only God can do, that only God could tell us to cast our nets into. No one can make fish, if you will, jump in the boat. Speaking about converts, it's God who does that. We just got to be faithful to go to the deep water, to throw our nets out, and ask God to bring in the increase, and that we would be faithful with what God has entrusted to us, that we would choose to invest and instill something in them that would cause them, come on, that one day they'll pick up a net and they'll cast it out into the deep water. And that's where we're going today. And so real quickly, Matthew 28, many of you know these verses by heart. I just want to give you a couple principles today if you'll be willing to write this down. Number one, I want you to see the message in discipleship. The message in discipleship. So with the idea, right, so there's a couple building blocks here. Box fan in every room. Y'all with me? Box fan in every room. An idea of not just you picking up nets, but those that you have been entrusted with would pick up nets and do the same thing. So there's two concepts here, a box fan and fishing nets. And they do not go together in congruency, but for our conversation today, they create a word picture and hopefully they're beginning to build like Lego blocks today. Box fan 
and fishing nets. But here's what we notice, point number one. I want you to write this down. We see the message in discipleship. Matthew 28, Todd spoke to this. In Matthew 28, you, you hear this great power that's given to us. All authority. What, what is that authority? That's kingdom authority that causes demons to flee and tremble. Kingdom authority, watch this, that allows us to show up in workspaces that's void of God. And we recognize that God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. But when you walk in, the kingdom of God goes with you. That when your people walk into spaces and places that the kingdom of God breaks out in places that otherwise has no God factor in it. Now, we understand God's working everywhere all at the same time, but isn't it interesting that God would deposit his presence in us and call us to step into places to bring the light of the world, to illuminate a revelation of a need for a personal, living, breathing relationship with God, with a God that knows their name and knows their need. And so Jesus begins this great commission with the statement of power. There is all authority. But not only does he say this in regards to power, but he would also speak to a pursuit. So there's a mission that we've been called to. So this message in discipleship found in Matthew 28, this great commission passage that many of us are familiar with, that is in verse 18, all authority, yes, given to me, he gives it to us. Then there's this statement, go, therefore, and make disciples. That word go is to as you are going. It's so much easier to tell people about Jesus on a mission trip. It's scheduled. It's planned. You've raised funds. You've got a passport. That's very much a part of the evangelism mission strategy. But the journey that we've been called to is that we would be constantly looking for that kairos moment where God shows up and the kingdom of God wants to break through and break out in and through you. And so what we begin to see is not only this power, but we see this beautiful pursuit that we are called to go and make disciples, that make disciples. But the question we have to ask is how do we do that? Because if you're like me, I'm 43 years old, been a follower of Jesus for 28 years, and I was not discipled until I was in my mid-20s, and I'd already gone through grad school at a seminary in Memphis. All that to say my idea of discipleship was a very misconstrued idea of hanging out with teenagers at a Sonic with a cherry limeade and talking about life. And that's cool. And that's helpful. But somewhere in the idea of discipleship, I had blurred the definition of what Jesus was instilling within all of us was more than just hanging out but instilling in the heart of someone something that causes them to grow closer to God that becomes reproducible in someone else, which means that all of us have different methodologies in regards to how discipleship actually begins to take on a functionality. But oftentimes, if we're not careful, we'll blur the lines between accountability groups, small groups, hangout groups, and discipleship. Discipleship is a scope and sequence of great intentionality that in essence, if people do not not only glean and gather, but give away, you're not making disciples. You're instilling great ins ins information and inspirational content. 
But if that person does not carry that on, and here's what I stand before you, not as if I have, honestly, when I receive this invitation, I'm like the least qualified to stand in front of you. I say this with full transparency. I've invested in a lot of people. But Scott Kendig, who was a, one of the camp pastors this past summer, is one of our executive pastors in San Antonio. And a part of his job description, I said, Scott, I need you to hear me. One of the reasons why I'm bringing you on this team is I need you to disciple me. He goes, that's a little awkward. You're my boss. I go, I need to know what you have been instilling in the hearts of people that I've met all over the country. And for a season, for nearly nine months, me and seven other dudes, he poured his life into, but it was not just hanging out and drinking a lot of Dr. Pepper and eating a lot of Chick-fil-A, which we did. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. But he gave me principles that now currently every Tuesday between 12 and 1.15, I am pouring my life into eight men with the same material that he shared with me. Not able to teach it the way that he, he's taught it because he's been doing it for years. With nervousness and sweating in places I didn't even know I had glands. More comfortable and standing in front of 7,000 people at a Falls Creek event but nervous is all get out amongst seven dudes that have significant leadership in our city, one of which, in a beautiful God moment, was on my flight this morning who I got to sit next to and talk about God, what God's been doing in his heart. To be able to invite their wives and their kids and have 52 people in my home where we did not somehow, some way just cater it, but instead we all brought something and we collaborated on a meal and begin just to significantly share life together and to look at our wives and go, we are growing in our relationship with the Lord and with each other, and what we're gleaning, we want to share with you once we go through this process. I've never done this before in my entire life, and I stand before you not a master in the subject of discipleship, but I do know this. I have found more value in recent days and pouring my life into seven men than I have in 28 years in preaching in front of thousands of people. I'm literally experiencing spiritual revival in my heart in ways I've never seen it. You know what? And these guys could care less that I stand in front of thousands of people. The fact that I would be willing to invest these principles has caused them and myself to understand exactly why Men were willing to lay down their life for Jesus. And that's what we want to put into this conversation. And so in this, we understand, go and make disciples, not only with this pursuit that every single day we would wonder, God, who are you putting in my life that I can pour my life into? And am I creating a system in my student ministry that makes evangelism and discipleship a major priority in why we exist in a mission? And if we don't plan it, here's what begins to happen. The metrics of our success are based upon the number of attendances in regards to our events and our gatherings. And I want you to hear me. We do not grow the church of Jesus Christ in rows. We grow the church of Jesus Christ in circles. You grow corn in rows. You grow the kingdom in circles, sharing life together. And this is what Jesus would speak of. Why would this bring us together? What is the table that unites all of us, that we would baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? 
We're grateful for what God's doing at Community Bible Church. In 2018, to see nearly over 1,200 people at this month baptized in Jesus' name is significant. But we are wrestling with the fact how many of them are being discipled who are making disciples. We have a logistical element that we are working through. And here's what we found out, and this is just like boots on the ground. We got 17 different models. Everybody's doing their own thing. And what we had to do is take literally 38 departments in our church congregation, our staff, and begin to help everyone that leads out on our ministry team to know there's one model of discipleship that we in our house are going to run with and champion that we would speak a common language. Vision is defined by a common vocabulary. And we have to understand something very significant. And I misunderstood this. I'm grateful for Sunday afternoon's 445 discipleship training. I grew up in a church that did that. I'm thankful for that. And we do that at our church as well. Monday through Saturday, we have all kinds of events that happen on our church property in regards to Bible study curriculum. And I'm thankful for it, and I even write stuff like that. But what I'm saying is this, that we must understand that's important. But discipleship is life on life. It's beyond the classroom. There is a component of the classroom attached to it. But there is a moment where we have to share life one with another. And that's what Jesus was modeling for us. So we see this message in discipleship that we would baptize and teach them to observe all things. But I want you to write down point number two. Not only do we see a mandate of discipleship, but number two, I want you to see a model, a model for discipleship. Now, real quickly, I got eight minutes and 35 seconds, but let me just do this real quickly. When you understand a discipleship model, and I know that all of us may not be able to see this, many of you have seen matrices and shapes that have taught biblical principles But what I'm drawing on the board today is a simple model that I believe that Jesus implemented. Now, he didn't teach a square, but what he did teach was this, that when Jesus called the disciples, he walked in front. Number two, he walked beside. Number three, he walked behind, and number four, he left. When you look at the model ministry of discipleship in the life of Jesus, what you'll see is this. He calls the disciples. We saw this in Luke chapter 5. He walks in front of them, and as he walks in front of them, here is the mindset. That is, I do, you watch. I'll say it again. When he walked in front of them, I do, you watch. That is, if you will, discipleship level number one. I do, you watch. But as this begins to transition from I do, you watch, you'll actually see Jesus begin to do something, and you see this in the feeding of the 5,000. He actually begins to transition this concept from I do, you watch, to I do, you help. I do, you help. Now, when we talk about the feeding of the 5,000, you go, how did they help in the miracle? They didn't actually make the miracle happen. But what did they get to participate in? 
the passing out of the elements. So what was Jesus doing? He was inviting them into the mission. So it begins with a level one type of discipleship model, which is I'm going to walk in front of you, and you're going to go where I go. Many of us have heard the teaching of the dust of the rabbi. And so when you hear that, it's I'm going to watch you, and that's my role. But then that transitions in a season where it simply becomes about I do and you help. But then when you turn the corner on the square, you'll begin to notice this, a level three disciple, that is, as we talk about quadrants, it goes from I do, you watch, to I do, you help, and then here it is, you do, and I help. Now, what happens at this level is usually failure. Usually there's a moment, much like the disciples when they came back, and do you remember this? All of a sudden they were like, Jesus, we couldn't find a breakthrough in this one. And then Jesus said, it's only through prayer and much fasting. He had to let them fail. Now, what happens sometimes in leadership is that when people fail, they end up in a pit that causes them to want to give up. But we have somehow, some way in the culture of discipleship have failed to recognize the importance of failure. One of the the atmosphere changers in our organization in regards to our church that we've tried to instill into the hearts of our people is that you have permission to fail. Anytime you're trying to do something significant for the kingdom of God, you have to understand that sometimes failure is not you losing, it's you learning. You have to understand that. That some of the greatest lessons we've ever learned in our life were not on the mountaintop but in the valley. And what Jesus did for the early disciples was not only I'll, I'll do this, you watch. Now you're, you're going to help and still participate. But there's going to be a moment where Jesus, much like what we're being called to do, is to push people forward, but we don't walk away from them. But instead we stand behind them. And here's what begins to happen. Jesus called the disciples. Then he comforts the disciples of like, hey, I'm letting you do this. And there's a moment where Jesus begins to coach the disciples. And then last but not least, just for the sake of time, it begins to transition from not just call, not just comfort, not just, if you will, in this moment of coach, but then he begins to cheerlead. And this is the process of you're going to do, and I'm out. Do you remember that moment where Jesus looked at the disciples and went, I'm leaving? And everything began to unravel in the hearts of the disciples because they had forsaken relationships and resources and put their reputation on the line to follow this guy that said he was God. And all of a sudden in the moment, Jesus goes, it's better that I go away. Why would he say that? Here's the reason why. Because if there was a youth ministry form somewhere else in the state of Oklahoma, if Jesus was bound by time, space, and place, he could not be in two places at the same time. But his spirit would be within us. So there could be a youth pastor form somewhere else in the state of Oklahoma, and Jesus is in the mix just like he's in the mix here. And so here's what we understand. Jesus would look at his disciples and say these things. You will do greater things. How? Because of simple multiplication of his spirit in us. So when we begin to live this out, we understand that what Jesus did in regards to a model of discipleship, very simply, he moved them around this quadrant. And guess what happens? That when a person begins to understand the significant life calling of leadership in the direction of the kingdom, then they bring someone else in that journey where they say, I do, you watch, you do, 
I watch. And then in the process of I'm now transitioning from just calling you to follow me to now cheering you on. But in the process of that, there is actual tools that I put in your toolbox that you'll be able to use, which means, and this is the principle, if you glean one thing, watch this. If you glean one thing from just this talk, if I were to die today on the way home, and I don't speak that over my life, I live on in you. Does that make sense? Like if you walk away from this place today and you just take one nugget, one principle, one truth, and you deposit that in someone else that you gleaned from this moment, this moment where you listened to a broken, weak, frail man, and somehow you pass that on, then I live on even though I'm dead. But what Jesus has deposited in all of us, think about this, the bandwidth of this for over 2,000 years is living and living and living. But we have to understand it only continues to live when we pass it on. And we have a global mandate. Nearly 2 billion people have never heard about Jesus, and we have all the technology in the world, and yes, there's more technology to come, but the most amazing method in regards to reaching the ends of the earth is the very lesson that Jesus taught us, is that you don't, if you will, grow a crowd, and then you get the church. You make disciples, and then you get the church. And I know that's not popular because that doesn't show up on Outreach Magazine. Like, like nobody's trying to follow that. That is, there's not awards for disciple-making. There's awards for building attendances, and I'm all about every bit of that. There's awards for baptisms and memberships, but at the end of the day, what did Jesus say? (laughs) Make disciples. One last statement, I'll be done. Not only do we understand the message of discipleship, number two, the model in discipleship, but number three, the multiplication in discipleship. The multiplication in discipleship. Now, I I don't have an eraser today, and if there was something, if anybody had like a napkin or anything that I could use that would just, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Like a ninja. I caught that. I'm an athlete, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I missed it. All right. And so, but don't you know, thank you for helping me use the giveaway shirt as the, as the eraser. All right. But real quickly, one of the things that you need to know in closing today A lot of principles that you're going to glean and learn from. But the multiplication in discipleship begins, and I just want to draw a triangle real simply. It begins with three T's, and I operate in an alliteration, but here's how this works. It's teaching. It's training. And it's time. Now, I ask you a question. Where do most churches and most student ministries invest all their resources? Teaching. If you walk on to most properties, most properties, including our church, investment is made in the big room. And I'm all for that. But what I'm saying is this, and this is what I love about what God's doing in Oklahoma Baptist. What I love about what God's doing is not only are there moments of inspiration and teaching, But there is a proper balance that leads into training, requiring time back into teaching. And this is the cycle because what brings about transformation is this kind of rhythm. Teaching, training, time. 
and a part of your rhythm, as you begin to look at just the scope and sequence of what you do in your church, one of the things that we've had to do at our church is articulate our mission and vision statement, and, and a lot of those mission and vision statements we've seen before, but for us, we exist as a church to initiate, excuse me, to initiate and celebrate life change in Jesus' name. That's our Nike statement. Initiate and celebrate life change in Jesus' name. We're going to make a big deal out of death to life stories. If heaven celebrates, we're going to celebrate. We're going to throw the best parties in San Antonio, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, that's, it, that's how we live at our church. But that's not the end goal alone. It's that every member matters, every member maturing, every member a minister, every member on mission. And that's the scope and sequence. So if I was in a conversation with you and said, can you tell me your philosophy of ministry? If you don't have a philosophy of ministry that goes beyond somebody coming to know Jesus and does not lead into maturity, that does not lead into, I have giftings that lead me into service, and I know that God's at work in the world and he wants me to join him. If you don't have a scope and sequence in that, I challenge you in these days, think about how this weekend of discipleship can instill into you and your people something, watch this, that will outlive you and outlast you, and when you go wherever God calls you to go or you stay wherever God's called you to stay, here's what I want you to know that when your life comes to an end, there'll be people that'll say this, that man, that woman invested their life in me. I'll close with just this simple story. When I was a high school student, Kevin Cougar was a math teacher. He invested his life in me. He simply was one of the first people in my life that called me a leader. He was a math teacher at the local high school that I went to. And when I went off to college, here's what happened for me personally. I've received the news one particular day that Mr. Kevin Kugler, youth worker in our student ministry in Orlando, had passed away with a brain tumor. He had been married to a gal by the name of Dawn, and what made the story even at a deeper level of pain, Dawn was nine months pregnant the moment he died. This was their first child. Fast forward several years, almost 15 years later, I'm speaking at a youth camp down in Panama City, Florida, and this young girl comes up to me. And she looks at me, tells me her name, and then she mentions her, mentions her last name. And when she said the last name Kugler, I, I literally, it just, it arrested my heart. I go, and before I could finish it, she goes, the reason why, Pastor Ed, I signed up to come to this camp is because my mom told me that you were the camp pastor. And she also told me that you knew my dad really well. And I'm in high school, and all I have is just pictures of my dad that I never got a chance to meet. And she said, would it be okay if I sit down with you for the next 20 minutes? Because I know you got to go, but could you just give me 20 minutes? And could you just tell me stories about my dad? And for 20 minutes, and I, I could have spent the whole evening, I just said, I just need you to know, your dad invested in me something that I've passed on to thousands of people and that was a simple methodology called SOAP. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. He taught me that. He taught me to love Jesus, study my Bible, tell people about Jesus, and never, ever 
be ashamed of who Jesus is. And by the way, he saved up $300 and put me on a bus to go to an FCA camp to become a leader. So I would become the high school FCA representative against my will. Your dad made me do that. And here I am now as a pastor because your dad believed in me. Here's what I want to say to you. Your life has the ability to shape someone for eternity. And the vehicle that God gave us to do that in is called discipleship. And that's why all of this is important. Would you stand with me if you don't mind? Thank you so much for listening. God, we thank you for the, the truth of your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, the goodness of how you've manifested yourself, one, in our hearts, that you are Savior. You lead us, you guide us, you strengthen us, and you even remind us that we're never alone and you promise us that we can't fail when we live our life in congruency with what you're teaching and how you told us to live it out. And so, God, as we seek to make disciples, God, would you be honored and pleased? Be forever faithful. Thank you that you are. God, help us to be forever faithful. In the midst of our faithlessness, we know you're faithful. Thank you that you've overcome the grave. Thank you that you've given us hope no matter what we face today. We know that we're overcomers, we're conquerors in Christ Jesus. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. You came to this earth to destroy the works of the devil. So God, may we, as Ephesians 4.27 says, to never give a foothold for the enemy to attack. So God, you're worthy. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Scope Posts and the Scope Post Podcast are ministries of the BGCO and made available through the generous gifts of Oklahoma Baptists to the Cooperative Program. Find out more about Oklahoma Youth Ministry at scopepost.org.